So, so time for confession. Can any of you confess that you have a food item that you um, are picky about, that you try to avoid, dodge it? Uh, there was a list of the, the 10 or 12 most despised foods. I want to run through these. So you, you may look at these. So one of them on near the top of the list is Brussels sprouts. Um, another is broccoli, Miracle Whip, interesting, Spam. Uh, cilantro. No, some people say that cilantro tastes like soap to them. Yeah, my wife's one of those. Uh, black licorice, anchovies. Anybody like anchovies? No? Some of you? No? Yeah, a few of you like, hey, I'll take that on my pizza. I don't want to eat your pizza if you have anchovies on it. Uh, the the uh, A couple others um, that, that make the list, circus peanuts, um, liver. Uh, in, our, in our household, one of my daughters, we, uh, we had a house guest who had come over and, um, and she, she was younger and on one of my daughters, we hadn't picked up on this, but whenever we had broccoli, she had a very clever way of smuggling it out and depositing it in the bathroom. Uh, but we weren't smart enough to pick it up on it. And so uh, while she was doing this one time, being particularly picky, uh, the house guest said, you know what she's doing, right? <laughs> what? And uh, so she totally outed her. And uh, we had an interesting conversation seeing her strategy. So she doesn't get rid of her broccoli that way anymore, right? You know, when it comes to food, we could, we could talk about a lot of things that we're picky about. I've eaten some really interesting food overseas and in different settings. And food's kind of funny because what might feel palatable for us in another country or, you know, gross to us might be, you know, uh, something cherished in another country or, you know, some of that's cultural, some of it's those things. But, but, but it's incredible to think about the fact that when God has called us to do something, that we don't have the privilege of picking and choosing. We don't get to be picky about what it means to obey God. It's just not how it works. In fact, we're going to see Peter today, the Apostle Peter, be a man who wanted to pick and choose what obedience looked like for him. But what we're going to see in God's Word as we continue our study through the book of Acts is that God actually has a very specific call on his life. He's going to call him to clean eating, not the way that you and I think about clean eating these days. But he's going to call Peter to do something that, that actually has repercussions for all of us in this room, that, that God was on the move. The cross had radically changed everything. Jesus had taught and predicted that through his death, the new covenant that was going to be bought with his blood was going to mean that Gentiles were going to have the same promises or similar promises that had been given through the work of the cross, that salvation was going to be offered not just to the Jew, but to all people. And the work of the cross was going to change everything. And here, what God wanted to say to Peter, and he says it in multiple ways, but he says to Peter, Peter, stop calling clean, unclean what I have called clean. Stop it. And, and, and Peter's going to hold on to it. In fact, Peter's going to need to be reminded of this lesson. We're going to see it today. three times. Again, Peter, uh, let me remind you. And, and finally, it seems like Peter gets it. God has him on a journey. And I'm guessing for some of us, when it comes to, to obeying the Lord, that our obedience at times has, has some parameters. Yes, I'll do it, but uh, as long as it's on my terms. And there's this great story of a very interesting man. Uh, some of you may have heard his name, Father Damien, Damien de Vastour. He was a, a part of a different tradition than ours, but he had been called to serve as a minister. And back in, in 1965, in that time period, uh, he was called to be a minister in 1873, but in 1865 in Hawaii, the government there had established 
the rule that if you were a leper, what we know today as a Hansen's disease, if you were a leper, uh, they took you to a strep of, of land that was surrounded by these great, huge volcanic cliffs on the island of Molokai, and they intentionally isolated these individuals. Over that 100-year time period, there would be some 8,000 people who had leprosy or Hansen's disease and were ultimately dropped off in this community. It was a desolate place. This one woman who was, was brought there when she was 13 years old, she said she was stripped from her family. Her name was Nancy Breed. She was stripped from her family at age 13 and someone had hunted her down because they'd heard of her disease and she was really left there not knowing if she'd ever see her family again. It's a desolate place. My parents have visited uh, this place since then um, multiple times. And the story is incredible about this Father Damien. At, at some stage in his ministry, he felt that God was calling him to this community. And so he, without leprosy, um, felt like God was saying, go. And so uh, within these first few years of his calling there, he assumed that at some point he probably would catch leprosy, and he did. It took 11 years. One of the statements that he said when he received this call is he said, Lord, my Lord, Remembering that I was placed under the pall on the day of my religious profession thereby to learn voluntary death is the beginning of new life. He told his mentor, here I am, ready to bury myself alive among these unfortunate people. And his ministry would be one where people like Nancy Breed would would be invested in because of this calling. And, he, and so, so, so he had this call that God had placed on his life, at least that he felt like he'd heard this voice of God and then he followed through with it. And the, the next picture is of his grave. He, he did, he died there. And, and you, you look at this story and, and there's a part of this, the reason why I share it is that he was a man who obeyed this call in his life. And in fact, it's important for us to remember the central point of this message this morning is anything less than obedience to the Lord is really rebellion. I, I love the story of Jonah. It's one of my favorite stories in God's word. And, and part of the story of Jonah that's incredible is that God says, arise, go to Nineveh. And he goes, just does exactly the opposite, right? He, he gets on a boat, he goes in the opposite direction. He rebels against the call of God on his life, but God doesn't let him get away with it. And Peter, we're gonna see in God's word today, God doesn't let Peter get away from seeing what God was going to do in and through this story of grace. Today's a message of grace. And I hope it challenges each one of us to ask the question, God, what are you asking of me? What are you calling me to do? What, what is it that you've asked me to follow you in complete obedience in? Anything less than obedience to God is rebellion. In this first point that's going to flow out of God's word today is obedience is not optional. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up on the last verse in the, in the chapter 9 of, of Acts because we're going to see God taking Peter to school here. It says this in verse 43. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Now, you and I read that and we think, ah, oh, what's the big deal? Simon the tanner. But, but in those days, as a Jewish man, man who'd grown up attending synagogue, and we know Peter was a fisherman. We know he wasn't, he wasn't um, like, like a Pharisee or Sadducee, but he was a person who was, was at least exposed to the teachings of Judaism consistently. 
that here he is, a man who now has been asked to stay in the home of a tanner. And if you think of a tanner, you think taxidermist, you think someone who's constantly preparing skins of dead animals. And and it sounds like a pretty good career maybe, but for a man who was Jewish, this meant that they were constantly ceremonially unclean. In fact, uh, there's some some interesting things that that happen in terms of Jewish tradition that if a woman was engaged to a man and she found out after the fact that he was involved in tanning, that she had permission to to break up the relationship. That's the way it was because it was so so, um, ceremonially unclean. And, And Peter now is beginning his education from God, that he's in the context of a man who before this would have been very difficult for him to associate with. But, but obedience to God is not optional. And Peter is going to go on this journey to understand what God was calling for him to do. In chapter 10, verse 1, it, it shows us this example of a man named Cornelius who's pursuing God. And God sincerely pursues those who sincerely pursue him. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a, de- a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and he prayed continually to God. This was a general in the, in the Roman, Roman army and he was a man who would have been expected to have participated in the common gods of the day. Some of you remember studying these gods. We recognize that they had things that were tragic. They had human and animal sacrifices associated with gods like Jupiter, Diana, Mercury, Neptune, and... There were temple ceremonies and things that were repellent, especially to someone who was striving to honor the one true God. And and for Cornelius, we don't know a ton about him, but what we know is he was a man who was in a position of power. He was used to giving orders. He had at least 100 men under his um, under his control in the Roman government or in the Roman army. And here it says that he's seeking God. He still hadn't found what he was looking for. So now he's pursuing the one true God. And he hasn't completely found it. But in his pursuit, the story picks up in verse 3 that God is going to notice this man. God is going to not only see him as he is, that he was a part of another tradition, another culture, but instead what God's going to do here, it's tremendous. God is going to see him as he could potentially be a worshiper of the living God. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, this is Peter, an angel of, uh, I'm sorry, Cornelius is seeing this. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. It's important for us to catch. This isn't that his gifts to God have saved him or that he's, so, no, actually just what has done is that it's shown his sincerity of his heart. He's given generously, he's pursuing God. And what God is going to do is pursue him now by sending to him, Peter, a, a, an amazing ambassador of the gospel. It says this in verse five, and now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. And he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. Get the right Peter. And those whose house is by the sea, verse seven. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. 
It's encouraging for me to see this man's a seeker of God. God's pursuing him. And here he's going to send one of his soldiers and a couple of his servants to go find this truth. He's obeying God. It's important for us to remember as we study God's word that obedience often, obedience to God often requires us to let go of something. I love, I love this, this image, uh, the next picture of the waterfalls in Switzerland, in uh, Ticino, Switzerland. This is 193 foot waterfall. Some of you may know in Cleveland, the Hannah building, it's a 17 story building. Um, this waterfall on the left is taller than that. It's almost 200 feet. And back in 2015, a man by the name of Lazaro Schiller decided the right thing to do is to jump off this, all right? And so um, the, the story is incredible. The YouTube video is incredible, but this, this is the view that he had before he made this leap. I don't know if you've jumped off of cliffs. We were doing it a couple of weeks ago. We had a blast. But there's this moment when you stand there and your heart's racing and you kind of look over the, the side and you just said, we were, we were on a boat and we watched this, this little girl on a bridge. Like it took her about 45 minutes to make the leap, right? She, she, her mom's coaching her. She's super nervous. Do I, don't I? And you just feel that tension. This next picture is of the jump. It was successful. He hurt himself just a little bit in this, but through this time-lapse photo, you can see his body plunging into the water. Obedience in our lives as Christ followers requires us to leave what's comfortable for us. It requires us to let something go in order to follow God's leadership. The Peter, um, Peter the, with this Simon the Tanner, this decision to associate with him was just the beginning of what God wanted to do. In fact, we're going to get this glimpse into God giving Peter, a vision of what he was doing on behalf of Gentiles, says this in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, no, we know Peter, we, we know his story, the man who betrayed Christ three times, the man who God was using, he was taking him to school, constantly teaching him. And right now in history, Peter was coming off some tremendous miracles. God had done some great things at his, his, handy, his hand and he, he's experiencing God's blessing. And you just get this image of Peter celebrating. God was on the move and he knows it. And here he's gonna go up and have his own little worship service at the six hour to pray, about a time where you'd expect to eat lunch. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Later, Peter describes this as a vision. And he saw the heavens, uh, this was a gift from above, open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the, the earth. Uh, and on it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And I want to pause here before I finish reading this, that, that for Peter, when he saw these particular animals, each one of them would have been repellent to him. Because he'd grown up Jewish. He'd grown up eating according to the, the, the dietary laws that had been established in the book of Leviticus. And he, he ate distinctly because of his culture and his heritage and his, his conviction, actually, up to this point. And so he, though, at this point, had ignored a teaching that the Lord Jesus had given very specifically, saying that God had declared through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that all food was clean that all animals were considered clean. So as Peter sees these animals, it was repellent 
to him. It was, it was nasty and gross. We, we went on a hike on a missions trip with a, a young man. I, he's about eight years old and um, his name was Christopher. We were in West Virginia and um, I had this great conversation with little Christopher. He was the grandson of the pastor that we were serving with. And as we're hiking together, um, Christopher and I are talking and he's sharing with me pictures about the deer that he's killed and the animals that he's hunted. And he's just this wonderful little woodsman and he shows me pictures with him and his gun and and so as I'm getting to know Christopher, I'm realizing his life as the eight years that he had lived were a little different than mine growing up in Dayton, Ohio. And I asked Chris, so Chris, if I had the, the privilege to come to your birthday party, what would you ask your mom to, to make for you as your favorite meal? I love that question to kids. And so Chris, Chris ponders and he says, well, I really like pepperoni pizza. Um, but I'd probably ask my mom to make squirrel brains. That's what he said. And I had a moment, squirrel brains. That's very interesting, Christopher. And so I asked him about how he prepared it. And I really think that Christopher's making fun of me at this point, you know. And uh, I, I later on interacted with his mother. And I said, all right. So, so I asked Chris this question. What do you think his answer would be? And she said, well, Christopher really likes pepperoni pizza, but I bet he said squirrel brains because he loves squirrel brains. That's what she said. Now, now inside, I'm trying to picture how do you prepare this? What does this taste like? You know, I've been in some places where there's been some very unusual food placed in front of me. But this was not just that it, was, it felt gross. or it, it was actually something more than that. These food laws, as they had been established back in the book of Leviticus, were designed to distinguish God's people from the rest of the people in the world. That there was a distinction from them, an isolation from the community that God intended to protect a peculiar people unto himself. And so this wasn't just a matter of preferences, and it wasn't just to, to protect them through these dietary laws, but it was intended to distinguish them. So his language that we're not that familiar with, his language that he's using when he says clean and unclean, he's talking about something that he would have grown up with. We don't eat that in our household. It's unclean. And, and so when the Lord said, or when, when God says to him through this vision to eat this, to, to receive this, he, he stands up and Peter's response back is when he hears from God in verse 13, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat, that for Peter, this would have been just repellent to him. And, and Jesus had taught back in, if you have time to study it, Mark chapter 7, 14 through 19, a message that apparently either Peter heard and ignored that he heard and disagreed with so much to the point that he refused to submit to it or that he chose just not to listen to it all. That Jesus had taught that what you eat does not defile you. That this unclean versus clean is, is a, a thing that would be set aside underneath the work of what God was going to do through the new covenant that was bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that what he was doing was establishing now a new covenant that gives the privilege of access to God, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles, that we celebrate God's work that he's doing through this. Jesus declares all food clean, but Peter wanted to still be picky about obeying that call. Peter tried, verse 14, it says, and Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Let me just point out something to you. That, that phrase, by no means, Lord, does not go together. It doesn't fit. You don't get to say Lord 
and then to say, by no means. And I want to make sure that we're applying this in our own lives, that there's this temptation for us, that we want to be people who say, Lord, and then when he gives us his call on our life, when he asks us to do something, that we want to still maintain the right to say, yeah, but that's a little too much. No, nah, I don't know. Not about, no. What, uh, yeah. So this statement, by no means, Lord, and then Peter declares his tradition that has been a part of his life. Those words do not go together. We don't get to place stipulations on what God is calling us to do. It's going to take Peter three times to understand this message. It says this in verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. Peter, what God has made clean, don't call it common. And then this happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Let me clarify something about the deceiver. Satan loves to add to the commandments of God. In the Garden of Eden, when uh, after the, the Lord told Adam and Eve not to eat of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that, that, that profound thing that God had asked him not to do. Later, Satan adds to that. He says, he said he couldn't touch. And there's other times in scripture where t- Satan takes God's commandments and he twists them and he adds them, he manipulates them. And, and here what had happened was a misunderstanding or holding on to something that no longer applied to this group of people that God is declaring through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that all people have access to the gospel. They don't have to become Jewish first before they become Christ's followers. The third time's the charm for Peter. Finally, he seems to get this, but the way it describes it in verse 17, it says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, they stood at the gate. Here they are representing those who are seeking hope. They're seeking the message that Peter has. And, and it's incredible to think that it's possible that Peter may have just chose not to go out, to, to miss out on this opportunity to share the truth. And I want to make sure for us that we accept in our church context that as the world continues to be a dark place, that the light of the gospel has the potential of shining the brightest that it ever has because of the fact that we truly do have hope. And here they're standing at the gate. They're seeking something. And Peter is going to obey and he's going to follow what God wants him to do. I love this in verse 18. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, it's all is happening right next to each other. The spirit says to him, behold, there are three men looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. You know, this little girl on this bridge, 45 minutes, nervous. She just prolonged the pain and the tension. Finally, she jumped and everybody around was clearing. There was cheering, clapping and celebrating. There's this, this, this without hesitation. That's a pretty good thing to consider when it comes to obeying the call of God in our life. Verse 21, and Peter went down to the men and he said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Peter is 
following what God is asking of him. Next week, as we study this passage together, we're going to see God use Peter to share the truth of the gospel in such a way that the gospel is not just going to be opened up to Cornelius and his household, but it's going to literally be opened up to an entire group of people that many of us in this room are a part of, that God's work is going to go not just from Jerusalem to Judea, but to Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. And we celebrate the provision of the gospel. And here what's happening is that God's on the move, that there's a sanctification process that Peter's going through, that God's bringing to him to a point of open obedience without qualifier. I obey the call of the Lord in my life. I can't help but think for some of us in this room that when it comes to obeying the Lord, that there's things that the deceiver wants to do to keep us from, from stepping in obedience. Yesterday, I had the privilege with some friends to, my family and I with some friends to go blueberry picking. It was this beautiful place. And there were hundreds of trees. It was really a special experience. But as you go in, you could hear a really loud sound of like, like eagles, birds of prey. That like, that, and what we, we asked about it, and we found out that that's, they just play the sound of eagles and, and what it does is it scares away birds from coming into the, the fields. It's an interesting thing. It works, totally works. And, and I couldn't help but think afterwards about the fact that in my own life that there's things that are out there that are actually frauds. They're things that, that, that they, they, there was nothing there to be afraid of, but they're things that keep me on that ledge from jumping, right? They're things that, that make me hesitate. They're the things that, and, and there's just this massive banquet. If you were a bird, those blueberries would be your dream place to be. But it was something so small that would keep you from being able to experience that blessing. I want to ask you three questions by way of conclusion and application for this message. And on mission trips, when I take teams, one of the things, my favorite questions to ask a person, and I'm going to ask this to you because we've all been going through a very unique season over these last several months. And that is, what is God currently teaching you about himself right now? Like, what's he, what's he teaching you about him? And, and I think we're, with, when we get to see Peter's journey, one of the things that we could see is that Peter was going through a process of understanding that God's grace was sufficient, that he had, was overwhelming in his love for the Gentiles. And for Peter, he had to just accept that. But the second part of this question is really important and is, and what is God teaching you about you right now? So, so how do I respond to a pandemic that changes everything? How do I respond when I struggle to watch my kids not know what school's going to look like this year? How do I, I respond when, when we have things that feel like we, we assumed we took for granted before, right? How do we respond? But to make sure that we're not neglecting the fact that God's still intimately involved in the details of our life, right? The words of that song that we sang, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. Praise the Lord for that, right? So the question is, what is God teaching you about himself or what is he teaching you about yourself? The next question that I'd like to ask you to consider, we talk about comfort zones and obviously Peter is pushed out of his comfort zone. I mean, he's, he's moved out of what was comfortable for him. And, and I want to ask you today to consider what does it mean for you to be out of your comfort zone. For some of you, that, that looks like logging on to church and coming to church today. For some of you, physically, that looks like what it, what it meant to, to join us today in person. For others, 
That means looking at your neighbors from a different perspective. It means looking at your coworkers. It means, I love the phrase, you know, embracing the awkward, right? And being willing to see that, that there's things that are around us that, that people do not have access to apart from somebody who answers that knock on the door to say, I want to share with you the hope that I hold dear. I love the signs that we have, the yard signs that say, join us. I love that, that idea that we're saying, like, there's, we are not hope and we're not hope for people. We don't offer hope for people in and of ourselves, but we know the God of hope, right? And we know the one who can offer them hope through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that phrase, join us, when we say, like, let me share with you who your hope is, right? And I see this as something that God wants to do in each one of us. What would it look like for us to get out of our comfort zone and care about the needs of others. For, for some of us, it might be that image of being on the edge of that cliff that is so frightening, but that God is saying, I want you to take the next right step. The third question for you is one just about this day, August 2nd, 2020. What is God asking for you to do for him today? What's he called you to? What is the nudge that he's given you? What does it mean for you to be be open-handed with what God has asked of how you're going to spend these next several hours. Think of four people who understand that obedience to God is not optional, but it is something that it requires us to be people who, who either choose to rebel against his call or to embrace it and to trust him. I want to close this message with, with just the simple place that I began with my prayer earlier. Lord, we love you and just want to thank you for this church family. I want to thank you for Peter, that he was a man who you took on a journey, a journey of sanctification that allowed him to change his mind about some of the deepest convictions of his life. And, and Lord, I, I thank you for your steadfast love that the first time that he heard that message, that he would have heard this message of you calling all things clean, through the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he still missed the message, that he still chose to go his own direction, still chose to hold on to tradition. But Lord, I just wanna thank you that you were on the move in his life, that you were opening his heart to the work that you were going to do. And I, I pray in this room that there's a person that has chosen to resist you, to push back, to choose to say no, Lord, Lord, that, that can't be for them. I refuse to accept. Would you, would you humble us in that area? Would you allow us to step aside and to get to see your mighty hand at work like Peter ultimately got to do three times over. He finally got it. And Lord, in this room, we might also have some people who are like Cornelius who have, have tasted what the world has to offer and they still haven't found what they're looking for, that they, they're seeking you diligently and I just pray that, that that simple, powerful truth would resonate with them, that you seek those who are seeking you, that their questions have great answers, Lord, that you are not distant and separate, but that you can be found. I pray that they would hear your voice, pray that they would see your truth, that your story would be profound for them. And perhaps in this room, there's some that are like me, my 13-year-old self, that looked at the challenges of life ahead and, and, and had to be asked the question, is your God big enough to handle whatever life throws at you? 
I pray for that person that they would like me, like I did, uh, be able to say, absolutely, he's big enough, he's strong enough, he can handle this. His shoulders are broad enough to handle whatever my circumstances are. And that's the youngest of the young in this room, and that's the oldest of the old, those who have chosen to hear your message in their hearts. And Lord, we just pray that today we would people be people, like James says, that are not just hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.